11 in the books. Let's face it, some NFL landscape changing injuries, some comeback wins from teams that really shouldn't have any chance of making the playoffs. Yet here we are again, 11 weeks into the season. There's a lot to digest. Let's go game by game here with John Daigler for four and Hayden Winks. And we kick it off with Cardinals versus Texans. The Houston Texans, six and four in the season, 21 to 16 victory over the Arizona Cardinals. And on the day, CJ Stroud, 27 to 37, 336, two interceptions, excuse me, three interceptions. Wow. Two touchdowns, but is able to highlight one of the most ridiculous, I'll say it, rookie late-round wide receiver talents that we have seen, Hayden, and a special player, Tank Dell. 10 targets, 8 receptions, 149 yards, and a score. Just imagine before the season, we would start Week 11 show <laughs> with Cardinals versus Texans, but this is what a good rookie quarterback game typically looks like. C.J. Stroud was like perfect for the last couple of weeks. He threw some bad interceptions in this one. There was a ball to Nico Collins, a cover two shot that he just quite frankly shouldn't have tried to throw that one in. He should have scrambled it. There was one of the interceptions that was just a, a drop pass. Now I don't have to worry about that. A sideline interception. So those were the bad plays. We also had a fourth down conversion that didn't get uh, didn't get made after a 10-play drive. We had a long field goal. So the Texans were moving the ball consistently this entire game. But like Daigle likes to mention, I completely agree. A lot of it is C.J. Stroud bailing out in the uh, third down scenarios. He had 97th percentile epa on these third and fourth down pass attempts there was an absolutely ridiculous uh sequence where he took an absolutely rib altering sack he had to be removed from the game on a third and seven throws an absolute laser beam to tank dell who ended up being the number one wide receiver but more than anything there was one play and it was just kind of a scramble drill uh play where cj stroud buys a little bit of time ends up pointing to tank dell down the field to keep going downfield Tank Dell is on the same page with CJ Stroud and his speed, his separation ability is so beyond legit. But this is also CJ Stroud doing the one question mark thing that was on his prospect profile, which is buying time and throwing it on the run. So they got out of here with the win. They are six and four. This team was in this game was more fun than what a 21 to 16 game typically looks like. But it was a little bit more up and down from CJ Stroud, but it actually made you feel like he's a real human and not just like a God rookie quarterback. We were talking about a potential tank Dell comparison out of this game because, you know, maybe week two, week three, week four, heck, even after the preseason, you know, a what third or fourth round rookie that in some ways CJ Stroud let the powers at B at the Houston Texans know I got to get my guy. Mm -hmm. And what he is doing now as being already one of the league's best downfield threats and look at almost all of these downfield routes, 15 plus yards outside breakers, plus separating late in routes. This is massive. And this is one of those few games that we have so far where CJ Stroud playing at this level, the Texans offensive line playing at this level, Nico Collins and Tank Dell all being on the same page. And Hayden, let's not forget now a running game with 22 carries, 112 yards and a score. So what I love about this entire package is the Texans are at this point where when you have a game like this, where you can have your quarterback throw three interceptions along with him making some big plays, mm -hmm. you know, coming back as a full team effort and elevating it and stopping the opposition for just 16 points shows me that this team is good enough that they don't have to play perfect football on a weekly basis to win. And that is like the definition now of a playoff team in 2023. 
I think I think so too. They'll be right in the mix. They just have to see if they can beat Jacksonville. Who obviously got a huge win, but it's it's not just C.J. Stroud, like you said. Obviously, Tankdale, Nico Collins. We've talked about them on the show, but the offensive line has stepped up that that long throw down the field. There was multiple defenders laying on their back because of blocks, but also. Derek Stingley has a huge interception. That was a first-round pick a couple of years ago. Will Anderson is putting on one of a, a top five, top ten edge rusher performance already as a rookie. So right now, the foundation is completely set. They're very inexperienced. Obviously, C.J. Stroud, who after the game, after throwing these interceptions, he said, Steph Curry misses some shot, but he's still going to go out there and keep shooting. I like that aggressiveness. I'm still with you. We want to see C.J. Stroud throw the ball a little bit more on early downs because, yes, Derek Stingley – or. Uh, Devin Singletary got there because of volume, but and there's like some consistency with the ground game, but it just feels like if you will allow CD Stroud to cook even a little bit more, this offense can take another step out there, but exciting game, even though kind of a lower scoring game, all things considered. I only complain about it weekly because I want to watch CJ Stroud for as many weeks as possible. And they have a massive game coming up with playoff implications against the Jaguars next week. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is that, these past two weeks, they've gotten away with the early down carries, and it could be game plan induced because it was against the Bengals and the Cardinals who can't stop the run. Remember, when they played the Bucks, they tried it for the first quarter. It didn't work, and then Bobby Slowick stepped off of it and allowed CJ Stroud to pass more in early downs for the rest of the three quarters. So maybe that's the case against a pass funnel defense like the Jaguars. Curious to see if they do that. But either way, mm -hmm. they found something here because at least they know they had good matchups with Damian Pierce before. I'm not blaming everything on him. They had so many offensive line injuries to this point of the season. But the it. fact is, the last three weeks now, Devin Singletary has handled all but five running back touches for this entire team in that span, yeah. and he's been awesome. Honestly, he's been great on the touches. Uh, okay, Hayden, talk to me about the Cardinals' end of this equation because we got some really fun Kyler Murray plays last week, even though it didn't totally hit. Um, but in this game, 20 of 30, 214 yards, took three sacks, one touchdown, one interception. Uh, he did scramble or run seven times for 51 yes. yards and another rushing touchdown. So back-to-back -back weeks of rushing touchdowns. Mm -hmm. And so we have some positives here. Then I looked down and like the one bet that I thought we could have because it was like this for Joshua Dobbs, it doesn't work out in Hollywood Brown with just five targets, two receptions, and 18 yards. Daigle calls them prayer yards, but they are air yards nonetheless. There was a couple play action deep shots. One was an interception, which was slightly underthrown from Kyler Murray. Another one just went out of bounds. So that's the type of player the Marquise Brown is. Kyler Murray, even going back to last week, I thought missed a couple throws, including to Marquise Brown. So that's been a little bit of the worrisome part with Kyler Murray's a couple throws that just seem like either a tick late or a tick underthrown versus what we are used to. But the scrambling ability was real nice in this one, including a fourth and one scramble where it was just it was not just burst, but it was also a little bit more change of direction to get around the corner in for a touchdown they went for the two-point conversion using kyler murray on the ground as well that one didn't convert but we're starting to see this coaching staff be extra aggressive and kyler murray's athleticism is at least there there was one note that i wanted to mention just from the tv booth they always have access to these players before the game and they were talking to kyler murray about trey mcbride and what the coaching staff and kyler murray said they want trey mcbride to do is to improvise on their routes they think that he's fluid enough that they can get more Travis Kelsey-like movement where it's just like the play starts, he reads the defense, and he can make a decision that's not necessarily drawn up on the playbook. But I thought that was interesting. I agree with that, that the athleticism 
is there. He had a fine enough day to not score a touchdown. And this one had a great fingertip catch near the sideline. But I thought that was interesting that when Rondale Moore, he scores a touchdown on the quarters beater, but basically not heard from aside from that. It seems like they're trying to make Trey McBride a very legit thing. So if we can get Kyler Murray a little bit ahead of schedule uh, with the with the aerial attack, I think that Trey McBride's got a real chance here. Did they mention Greg Dortch post game <laughs> stepping in for Michael Wilson My and guy. leading the team yeah. with a 27.5% target share too? Well, with Greg Dortch, there was one play late in the game where they threw him the ball, and his yards after the catch ability is wild. He's good. And he, he's, really good. he's not just fast. He was actually breaking some tackles for a smaller player as well. It's interesting. He's a yards per route run king. He must not be liked by coaching staff. I don't know exactly what it is because he can't usually get on the field or stay on the field, but whenever he's out there, he is actually relevant. So we'll see if Michael Wilson, uh, if he can play next week. But I don't. I think all of those guys are going to be secondary options. It eventually will be Marquise Brown. He will be up and down. But it seems to me that Trey McBride might be the every week easy button for this offense, and they're going to continue to develop with him. Yeah, and obviously the barrier of entry for having a starting tight end in your roster is much lower than, you know, a top 24 wide yes. receiver. Just playing the future schedule game here with the Cardinals who have won two games right now. They have the Rams, then the Steelers uh, over the next two weeks. That is also followed by the 49ers, the Bears, the Eagles, and the Seahawks. So maybe if they just win one of rest of the way, I guess is the way of putting this, then they probably don't have a top two selection in the NFL draft because right now they do have the second overall pick. But I think we can all look at uh, the Cardinals offense in comparison to, let's say, all the other teams around them and say, yeah, they have the best offense that mm -hmm. goes on the field on a weekly basis right now. Yep. Okay. We move on to the team right now holding the first and fourth overall selections. Bears versus Lions. And while those early first round selections might point to a potential quarterback, I am here to say that despite losing this game in the last seconds, a 31 to 26 win by the Detroit Lions, this might be one of the best Justin Fields quarterback games I've seen all season long. Mm. Now, 16 of 23, 169 yards, one touchdown uh, might not speak to it, but we got 18 carries from Justin Fields, 104 yards, uh, including 10 in the first half. And there were plenty of moments where you saw him, you know, elevate his quarterback pocket game. And there were times when he was sliding up in the pocket, resetting, hitting DJ Moore for what a 38 yard dart. Um, then there was also another time where he strafed to the left, squared his shoulders and hit Darno Mooney with another catch as well. And most of that happened in the first half or just into the second half. And on the opposite end, Jared Goff had one of his worst performances of the season. I mean, seven, nothing down after Deontay Foreman first drive touchdown by the bears, Jared Goff throws an interception versus a free rusher in his face. Another interception on the very next drive, just his second in 16 minutes. He nearly throws a third interception on their third or fourth drive. Uh, but a pick six goes through the defender's hands. And so Jameer Gibbs scores a touchdown on that again. After halftime, just into the third quarter, the Bears are up 20 to 14. And talk about complete wins. Really, all that the Lions had in the entire second half was two game-winning scoring drives with five minutes to go when they're down 26 to 14. Uh, and Jared Goff, you know, comes alive. He hits Jamison 
Williams with a perfectly thrown touchdown on like a 38-yard corner out uh, with Amon Ross St. Brown and underneath coverage taking some concentration away from the defense. And they drive down the field with the final two minutes and 30 seconds, and it is the ultimate David Montgomery revenge drive. He owned 45 of the final 73 yards, including a one-yard line plunge for a touchdown in the end. And yes, the Lions, again, somewhat like C.J. Stroud here, despite having a three-interception day, win in the end and improve to eight and two on the season. Jameer Gibbs, not a surprise. He beats David Montgomery in the past game with the six receptions. But I do want to note on that game-winning drive, Jameer Gibbs was in with at what, like the nine-yard line or whatever it was on the play that got down to the one-yard line. I believe the Bears call a timeout, so then the Lions could choose which running back they went want on the line of scrimmage at the goal line, and they did pick David Montgomery on that one. But yeah, I think this just shows you how deep these rosters are, the Lions versus the Chicago Bears, that even if Fields might have been the better quarterback in this game, that the Lions still win. Yeah, Pro Football Focus also charted only five of Justin Fields' 18 runs as scrambles. So it seemed to be returning to a lot more comfortable design runs, which is what we got in his two ceiling performances before injury against the Commanders and the Broncos. Yeah, that, and Real quick, Josh, that, that's not a surprise to me because two of Justin Fields' top three rushing yards games of all time happened to be against the Lions. He had like 130 oh. yards, 126 yards, and now another 100-yard game against Detroit. Just talking about the Bears' backfield real quick. Deontay Foreman kind of owned it in the first half. Now that only equaled, you know, six carries or 14 yards and that, you know, opening drive rushing score. He left with an ankle injury. And so then we got a rotation between Kilo Herbert and Roshan Johnson after that. And I think it does stand out in a great Justin Fields passing day again when he wasn't allowing, you know, bad plays to turn to sacks or sacks to turn into turnovers that crush drives. It's still just DJ Moore for seven receptions, 96 yards and a score. And then the rest of the pass catchers do very little. Uh, Tyler Scott also had was either a fumble or an interception go off his hands, and so that equaled a turnover later on. And there are some plays that people will look back on early this week, heck, even me on Twitter, uh, that really showcase once again Ben Johnson, and he was kind of the reason why that this team even had 14 points in that second quarter. Um, there was a sweet third and five play call where they put Amon Ra, St. Brown, basically in the backfield offset, and they did a forward pitch to him, but it, the blocking was an inside trap. Again, this is a third and five. And then the very next play, it felt like it was a touchdown to Jameer Gibbs where they had Dan Skipper, the sixth offensive lineman, lining up in a two-point stance in the slot. Then linebacker Malcolm Rodriguez working on a full sprint and motion across the side. So obviously all the attention of the defense goes in this way. And then just a simple pitch to Jameer Gibbs on the opposite direction. And it's a race to the pylon. And he's going to win that one. But yeah, I mean, in the end, this backfield split was 12 carries, 76 yards and a touchdown for Dave Montgomery on the ground compared to 836 and one for Jameer Gibbs. But obviously in the passing game, Gibbs got there with six receptions, 59 yards. But I would say maybe three and 31 of that was that final one minute drive of the first half because he kept getting the check down after check down after check down on there. We, we all also knew it was a good Gibbs game, given that the Bears run defense has been stout, but they were leaking to the running backs in the passing game uh, to this point had allowed six catches and over 60 receiving yards per game to opposing running backs. So it just seemed like a matchup for Gibbs overall too. Yeah. And I mean, the line schedule way out, man, it, it lines up super nice for them. It's the yeah. Packers. 
it's the Saints, it's the Bears again on the road, and it's Denver, Minnesota, Dallas, Minnesota. So three kind of difficult ones to end it. But at that point, you hope that you know your Detroit Lions have eleven wins there on their schedule. That is impressive stuff for this team that look really complete and sure. I think we might have more questions now about the defense than maybe we did in like the first three or four. And they really struggled pressuring Justin Fields, despite their left tackle getting benched at points. And they might not be able to pressure without sending a blitz. That's something to monitor as we go along. Uh, because really Aiden Hutchinson got um, shut down for a majority of this game. But this Lions offense, again, all you need is like two drives, despite the rest of it going poorly. And they can put it together and get in a rhythm super quickly. That Aiden Hutchinson strip sack, though, was a special play where it yep. resulted in the safety. Totally. All right. I know Hayden as well. You think that we may be on the lookout for Gibbs and Sam Laporta splits? Yeah, I just think that Laporta with now we have Jameson Williams back. Not that he's like a big target earner, but there's a mm-hmm. couple plays there. David Montgomery back in the lineup. We know that especially in the red zone, they might run the ball even more than they had previously. And then Jameer Gibbs, when Gibbs has been on the field this year, Sam Laporta's target share has been down like 5%. So then in this one, he only has a 15% target share. So it's not going to be like the most drastic things in the world. But if we go from like 22% targets, to like 15% targets, and there's a chances where like, the ground game just gets going and they don't pass the ball all that much. I do think that we can see like Laporta being like a top five tight end that like we saw early in the game or early in the season. Now ranking him as like the tight end nine, especially since we've gotten a lot of other young tight ends kind of in the mix. And that makes sense because now Jameson Williams has back-to-back season highs and route participation, 62% rate today and just four fewer routes than Josh Reynolds. So it seems mm-hmm. like they're trusting him more and more, even in a game with DPJ active yet only for two routes today. The holidays are right around the corner, and what better way to please your family and the crowd than with HelloFresh's 15-minute meals? With HelloFresh, you can skip that trip to the grocery store and still turn around anything from photo-worthy charcuterie boards to mouth-watering desserts with pre-portioned ingredients that travel straight from the farm to your door. I've enjoyed avoiding that hassle with HelloFresh. Because all you have to do is pick your favorite meals, decide on a delivery date that works, sit back, and allow the food to come to you. And right now, HelloFresh is offering free breakfast for life. That's right, free breakfast for life. Just go to HelloFresh.com slash MostAccurateFree and use the code MostAccurateFree to receive one breakfast item per box while your subscription is active. Again, that's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash MostAccurateFree using the code MostAccurateFree. It's another reason why HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. Raiders versus Dolphins. Every time I looked up at this game, John Daigle, uh, the scoreboard read 20 to 13. Felt that way for about 17 minutes of the second half, and that's how we ended with the Dolphins only being able to score 20 points while being at home against this Las Vegas Raiders defense. Uh, who now dropped to five and six on the season. You wouldn't know it from the box score and watching that score throughout the second half, but the Dolphins did total 422 yards on offense. They averaged just over six yards per play. It was just one of those sloppy games where they shot themselves in the foot at every turn, including Tua, who looked rusty from the very beginning out of their bye. Lost a fumble on Miami's opening drive, consistently missed his receivers by inches short 
and the windows of zone coverage and even on his interception in the second half to Jalen Waddle just sailed the ball over his head and allowed the safety to come down with it. Not to mention around him, Julian Hill fumbled inside the Dolphins 25 to give the Raiders a field goal. Look Jason Sand. Uh, that is, <laughs> I've never heard end, of that. <laughs> they're tight end playing in place of Durham Smythe because Durham Smythe was injured, so we had to get him out there instead. Jason okay. Sanders missed his second field 50 yard field goal try of the season, and now you couple all of that with the injuries because Devon Achan out in the first quarter with what was said to be a knee injury on the same side of his leg. Mike McDaniel came back in the media afterwards and said that. A-chain was trying to return and play, so they weren't. They didn't consider it too serious. Uh, the fantasy therapist that I have seen have mentioned that he's supposed to miss one game after this. Well, time will tell, but either way, it doesn't seem like it's too serious, although it's concerning because he's on the same side. Zavon Ahmed, who was active over Jeff Wilson, also got injured, leaving Raheem Mostert healthy for basically the entire second half, only to himself. And Tyreek Hill came up with a hand injury in the second quarter walked off with trainers to the locker room early before the half and was holding his hand although he returned in the last two quarters to go over a hundred yards uh but yeah that's pretty much everything the Dolphins experienced in order to keep the Raiders close throughout the issue is they're still the Raiders so Aiden O'Connell hits Devontae Adams for a 46-yard touchdown to end the first quarter over the Dolphins two safeties. Brandon Williams like lost his balance on contact trying to hang with Adams and then Adams just kept on running forward and was wide open then at the end of the play. But from the beginning of the second quarter to 621 in the fourth quarter remaining, the Raiders longest drive after that touchdown went six plays for 19 yards. They just genuinely could not piece together anything to capitalize on the Dolphins mistakes. And really what kept the Dolphins did is that Jalen Ramsey is all over this tape two weeks wow. after he's had more time to rest. Picked off O'Connell on a throw to Trey Tucker on the sideline. And then to end the game, which I'm sure you'll see highlights of if you haven't already, his second pick, he played a better receiver than Tucker did in the back of the end zone and jumped up and basically mossed Tucker to end this game. He came down hard on the ball, lost his breath. But overall, that's kind of how the Dolphins got away with this one. They just escaped it um, and took care of business after the bye. We'll probably save this for stats versus film, but Mike McDaniel drew up a play call that I'd never personally seen before. You know, like the Texas route that the running backs run where typically you kind of run at the line of scrimmage and then you catch the ball like five or six yards down the field against a linebacker. Well, instead of running it like at the line of scrimmage, they told the running back to do it like six yards behind the line of scrimmage. And meanwhile, the center is now running not illegally downfield at the line of scrimmage and absolutely takes out the, the linebacker that should have been on, I believe it actually is a safety, uh, on the the running back in this one. So that was just like another wrinkle, something I would personally never seen before, but that's the difference between Mike McDaniel dialing up plays and the Raiders staff. Well, and it's why the Dolphins are the only team that can do this type of stuff, because how often do we see it, especially across the league right now, where, hey, we're trying to run something where offensive linemen are blocking out in front, and it's just illegal man downfield. I mean, multiple times in every single game, and especially this one, when... You kind of leave your center unblocked, but not really because actually the Raiders are sending extra people. So it leaves the middle of the field even more wide open. And they again, it's the timing. It's the placement of it all. And that's what's really sets on these misdirection plays and different plays. Um, the Dolphins above all the rest. And speaking of, 
now that we're trying to name players that we didn't think existed, like Julian Hill, I swear I saw this week that Robbie Chosen was cut from this team, and now he catches two passes for 39 yards. What the hell is going on? The way it works is that you are cut or waived to the practice squad, and teams know. It's like when the Patriots, after they named Malik Cunningham the backup over Bailey Zappi, they knew no other team was going to try and claim him. So you just kind of sneak the player through and put him on your practice squad. That's what every player does. And I don't know this because, you know, I'm I'm clearly dating a lot and I'm keeping track of this in spreadsheets. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, aware, you. I'm yeah. aware of the NFL rules at this point. Yeah, so I know what teams are getting away with constantly. But the point is that they healthy scratched Braxton Berrios today, mm-hmm. and that's why they had that absence at wide receiver because they went with three running backs instead. Although, again, this upcoming game, if Ahmed and Achan are banged up, I, I bet we see Mostert and Wilson active yet again together. Yeah, I just want to, again, reiterate the point on Achan because obviously we were suggesting you start him. I actually think, and Dolphins beat writers have said this, that the team was extremely cautious with him. They were not rushing him back in this scenario. Again, it seems like if he wasn't in reserve, they might have allowed him to play, you know, mm-hmm. two weeks ago if that was the case and if that was possible. But obviously it's not. And this stuff just happens. Like it really just yeah. does happen in fantasy football. And I don't think that this is a case where the team is rushing him back or it was bad advice. Again, it seems like, yes, it's to the same knee. But at the same time, as you said, Mike McDaniel went on the mic afterwards and said we got really optimistic reviews from the training staff. And so we'll, we'll see what happens, you know, as we spin this forward. It was also six weeks removed, not four right. weeks after injured reserve because they had the buy, so extra time. I was I was confident in him as well, and now it's just annoying. It's no one's fault. Again, not upset at anyone. Uh, no one lied to us like Arthur Smith, but right. it's crunch time for all of us in fantasy, and these are the kind of players, it's like when they come back, you have to trust them because you're either inching towards or in the fantasy playoffs when they return, and it's how do you trust someone in a must-win start-sit situation now, and I think A-Chan is kind of like that in his first game back. Yeah. yeah. Final you question I have. On. Final question with uh, on the opposite end with Michael Mayer, because as Hayden noted in stats versus film, uh, now that Josh Montanos is out the door, Jakob yep. Johnson is also out the door. This team is not utilizing a fullback. So we were projecting maybe more tight end usage, more 12 personnel. Uh, it wasn't a ton, but five targets, four receptions and 46 yards here for Michael Mayer including one 17-yard catch, I believe it was, on the opening drive. Uh, Someone we now have much more confidence in, given these last two games that Aiden O'Connell did have to throw, including the 27 attempts against the Jets, and Mayer has been popping up a respectable target share. Also, speaking of target shares, I think my most important takeaway from the Raiders' side of the ball is I don't know who to attribute it towards. I'm going to say... Josh McDaniels and Antonio Pierce splits since we've seen Aiden O'Connell play a game earlier this year against the Chargers and Josh Jacobs had double digit targets in that game. But now in three games under Andy Antonio Pierce, everyone with Josh Jacobs was banking on the receiving usage because his carries just don't matter. He goes nowhere except when he plays the Jets. And now these last three games, he's totaled three targets for a three and a half percent target share under Antonio Pierce. Like it's concerning for his ceiling. My theory is Aiden O'Connell sees Devontae Adams and says, sure. good enough for me. 32% targets with them. Chargers versus Packers. Both teams are four and six, but boy, do we get a chargering today. 23 <laughs> to 20 victory for the Green Bay Packers over 
the loss in this Chargers, just to go through these quarterback numbers. Jordan Love, 27 of 40, 322, two interceptions, just three sacks taken. Maybe from a box score standpoint, Hayden, one of his cleanest performances of the season. And as for Justin Herbert, 21 of 36, 260 yards, two touchdowns. Another fourth quarter loss here. But anyone who watched the game will know a potential 81-yard touchdown or whatever it was to Quentin Johnson just slipped through his hands. And in the end, six losses on the season so far for the Brandon Saley-led LAC. No Mike Williams, no Josh Palmer, no Jalen Guyton, no Gerald Everett. It's time for Quentin Johnston to show up and then has six targets, two receptions, and the most brutal drop you can see. It's just, it's hard to have any trust in him because he can't beat press coverage and he doesn't trust his hands right now. So I don't know what you do with them. The Chargers needed him. And like basically, if you are in desperation mode and your first round pick can't get it done, this is how GMs and coaching staffs get fired right now. The Chargers with this loss, it really looking difficult for the playoffs and just spinning spinning this forward. They are $42 million over the cap next year. They're going to have to be cutting players like Mike Williams, Joey Bosa. By the way, Joey Bosa probably broke his foot. Again, he's had lower body injuries. He's had midsection injuries. It's hard for him to stay on the field. They even got like a decent uh, bounce back performance from Khalil Mack this season, but it hasn't mattered because the injuries are piling up and a lot of their first round picks from recent seasons have just not been getting it done. So really disappointing performance. I thought Justin Herbert played fairly well in this game, but he just didn't have anybody to throw the ball to aside from Keenan Allen, who is by far just a locked in top five guy will be the rest of the year because the Chargers defense is no good. There's one other note in this one, and I posted the video on to Twitter and it went viral because Austin Eckler had an open lane. He ended up going for 37 yards while every other running back in the NFL takes that one to the house. He looked as slow as you'll see a running back. Now, he is coming back from a high ankle sprain. We love Austin Eckler. He's still going to have the usage. This offense is still decent enough where we like Austin Eckler as an every week RB1. But that just goes to show you how bad the skill group is where yeah. Austin Eckler is probably your number two in this offense in a 40-yard dash right now. He's like running like a legitimate like a 4.8. So it it's just a really tough scene. It's hard because his schedule to this point the past few weeks had been hard. And so I just figured, okay, that's the schedule. Austin Eckler will be just fine. He's been getting away with touchdowns at this point. But yeah, to hear that he's still not explosive in what no. was a prime matchup, uh, including like everyone wants to know where his fantasy points went. He also fumbled inside the five yard line. That never helps. Uh, it was just an all around like concerning day. Mm-hmm. Well, that Eckler fumble, the Chargers in-game winning percentage was at 61%. After that goal line fumble, it dropped to 34%. So, I mean, we're talking about 30-point swing based off of that. So, those, these are the things that Justin Herbert, you can't overcome and, this. And Josh mentioned the Quentin Johnston drop at the end, but it was all the, it was all the butterfly effect because Keenan Allen also had the drop touchdown too. It yes. was like, it was quite literally full Chargers today. Mm-hmm. Uh, Donald Parham also a fourth down drop today too. It was I mean, bad. I mean, it, it was, was so ugly, bad. man. It was so bad. Austin Eckler running like a true podcaster out there. We at yes. least have something in common now with our five, four, three forties. Um, okay. Let's talk about this Jordan Love situation. And we don't have to go into like future stuff, whatever. But again, statistically, this was a quite clean performance. I don't know if it matched up with the eye test. I haven't gotten to watch. And then what we get out of one of his best performances of, a, of the year is three receptions, 91 yards to Dontavian Wicks, yeah. who... No one was drafting this year, despite trying to 
go through all of the potential pass catchers out there. Romeo Dobbs, five for 53 and one. Then Jane Reed pops up as the team's leading rusher with three carries, 46 yards and a score to go along with four for 46. Then not even tight end that we want to catch multiple passes. Tucker Craft goes for two for 34. Then A.J. Dillon, four for 32. Then we get to Luke Musgrave for four for 28. Then we finally close out with Christian Watson <laughs> for two for 21 and one. I mean, this is reading like a Kansas City-esque yeah. like receiving room a little bit. But should we also potentially reset our brains here and think, okay, is Dontavian Wicks, Romeo Dobbs, and Jane Reed, are these three players this team's top three wide receivers? Well, the snap counts, it goes Watson, Reed, and Dobbs. They've played about like 75% of the snaps, and then Wicks mixes in, kind of takes snaps from everybody in that. Jordan Love has been playing well, pushing the ball downfield a little bit. It's just this Chargers secondary, we knew it coming into this, was so bad. The Jaden Reed, we had the end around, picks up some speed. Definitely a, a intriguing player to me, Jaden Reed is, on tape. Um, but this is a little bit of a rotation on top of that. There's like not a clear like X wide receiver possession type. All these guys are like decent at enough things. So I don't think any of them are going to break away from each other. But the fact that Jordan loves at least pushing the ball downfield with a little bit more success at least gives them opportunities. But I think like in my weekly rankings, I've had these guys like as like wide receiver 38, 44, kind of in that range. It's hard to graduate beyond that when everyone's getting going. I will say. Aaron Jones does leave with a knee sprain. They said it's not a season-ending end type. It seems like he was pretty banged up. I would say he's probably going to miss anywhere from two to four weeks. We'll kind of stick in that range. He hasn't looked that explosive anyways, but I think like the moral of the story here is Jordan Love, 322 passing yards. Once again, the Chargers get completely run through. And the Chargers now, including Jordan Love's forms today, six of the 10 quarterbacks they've faced – have scored at least 21 fantasy points. They just literally don't stop anyone. So you better show up to play them as Jordan Love did today. I mean, th this is a season ender for the Chargers. I think we can put it that way because if you had won this game, you'd be five and five with, you know, the Patriots, the Broncos, the Raiders, and the Broncos again on your schedule. Maybe you win those four games and what you close out nine and eight on the season and maybe the AFC where it's going right now with no Joe Burrow, no Deshaun Watson, right? Maybe you get a chance to sneak in there, but now you're four and six and yeah. this is the end of Brandon Staley. I mean, it you can't come back from what we've seen in and past weeks into what we have now. And it probably doesn't end with that along with like this. And I'm not saying the owner is going to fire just because of the Quentin Johnson selection, but you had your choice of all these wide receivers, and you chose the guy who literally isn't helping you on an every game basis, despite having the platform to do it every single game this season. On stats versus film later this week, be sure to include Staley's presser after this yeah. game because it was 10 minutes of someone not being happy about the questions he was asked. Quickly, mm -hmm. by the way, because a lot of these teams, remember, played Thursday. We spent around for three games on Thanksgiving, not to remind everyone we have three games on Thanksgiving, but Aaron Anyone Jones on Friday, <laughs> Aaron, oh, it's the Jets too, right? Yeah. Or they skip yeah. the Jets, whatever. It doesn't matter. The point is Aaron Jones is not going to play on Thursday against the Lions. You can't run against them anyways, but AJ Dillon reminder handled 73% of the team's backfield touches and his three starts for Aaron Jones this year. The third string running back, Emmanuel Wilson was also injured yeah. in this game too. Seahawks versus Rams. Another big comeback out of a bye week. 
the St. Louis Rams then, now the Los Angeles Rams improved to four and six on the season, being the Seattle Seahawks 17 to 16. And in the first half of this game, it didn't look like it was going in this direction because there were three third down conversions on the Seahawks first drive. Unfortunately, Kenneth Walker tweaked something, his oblique. He was immediately ruled out for the game, basically. But they score on the play that you all were hoping for for a very long time, a DK Metcalf touchdown. It was a low throw on a slant. His arms scrape the turf and bring it up, and he rumbles it in. Uh, 14 plays, 88 yards, nearly eight minutes off the clock in that one. Uh, then they stuff the Rams offense. The Seahawks defense steps up a play action pass interference play gets the Rams down to the five yard line, three straight runs. Sean McVay calls toward Royce Freeman and then trying to throw the ball to Tutu Atwell on fourth down. That goes incomplete. Again, a turnover on downs. Um, after three Rams drives, they had 19 total yards on offense but were cool. awarded 82 yards on penalties, which then, not to jump to the end, but Seahawks fans are definitely going to feel irate about the ref crew in this one. Um, we also get a DK Metcalf 53-yard catch down the field after you roast a cornerback off the line. We'll fast forward here because just before halftime, 13-7, to Rams get a touchdown to Puka Nakua, his first target of the game, literally in the final play of the first half. Uh, Geno Smith at halftime looks great, man. 13 of 18. 150 yards, one touchdown, but went up 16 to seven. He gets his right elbow hurt. He's replaced by Drew Locke. And then, you know, Matthew Stafford and this team just like does just enough with a Daryl Henderson one yard touchdown on the ground after another multiple, let's say, questionable penalties. Uh, then Stafford to Pukunukua for a 30 yard gain, an unreal throw over Bobby w Wagner at the linebacker spot. Um, they take the lead again on a field goal and the Seahawks get it close, settle for a 55 yard field goal attempt. And Jason Myers misses it in the end, uh, despite Gina Smith trying to return for that fourth quarter final drive after sitting out the entire second half. So this one is going to sting. If you're a Seahawks fan, Drew Locke showed why there's such a separation between these two quarterbacks. Uh, but in the end, again, now the Seahawks are six and four instead of having what should have been a seven and three record in their grasp. This doesn't matter, Josh, but uh, Drew Locke had six pass attempts. Guess what his average depth of target was on them? 14.8. <laughs> yeah, it was long. What the hell is that? <laughs> he, he, he tried to launch it down the field. Um, and, and you could just see like it, just the confidence kind of evaporate from the offense when he was in there. And, I mean, Gino was trying to do his best. Like he was putting different wraps on, different sleeves on, icing it, heating it, all that stuff. And it sounds like it is a bruised tricep. Um, they play on Thanksgiving. So if they're down Geno Smith, which who knows how that's going to react over the next few days with very little time to practice, it already seems like Kenneth Walker is definitely going to miss this upcoming week. So we did get 15 carries, 47 yards for Zach Charbonnet. There was some fun stuff in there. But that big play, like singular play that could have changed the game with Kenneth Walker potentially in there with Drew Locke or with a hobble Geno Smith just doesn't happen. And uh, I mean, on the opposite end with the Rams, we also got a significant ankle injury here for Cooper Cup as he was trying to crack down and block uh, on the edge. And he goes and hobbles immediately to the locker room just before the first half and doesn't return. And it makes you wonder how much left Cooper Cup has in this 2023 season. And it's not just 
some old game these backups drew lock and zach charbonnet will be showing up for like if you're in a position where you have to play them in deeper leagues it's against the 49ers like and that's that includes geno smith if geno smith comes out here injured he has a prime time game against the 49ers good luck man so i don't i don't know what they do on thanksgiving night it's a bad situation for everyone and on top of that tyler lockett did play showed up in the box score fine enough for you but uh, only was out there for 36 of 65 snaps. JSN played more snaps than them. They're getting their best rookie wide receiver out there, Jake Bobo, in the mix a little bit <laughs> on top of that. So no. Seahawks fans are going to come for you. <laughs> JSN had one great play and another near good one, too. Uh, there was an underthrown deep ball from Geno Smith that JSN works back for, climbs the ladder, catches it in a contest situation. We now have the best play of JSN's rookie year that we can all point to on top of that narrowly, like by a toe missed a toe drag. Uh, that would have been another 20 plus yard gain along the sideline. And I will say Tyler Lockett's day could have been even better. Drew Locke, despite that high uh, intended air yards per attempt under through uh, Tyler Lockett, who had a step or two on his corner and he tried to do the lean, lean into the corner. And instead the corner just turns and uh, picks off the pass. We're going to have some, Interesting splits to consider for the Rams too next week based on injuries because even the waiver wire this time of year is built around injuries and splits that everyone else forgot about, including Tutu Atwell, who saw a 22.5% target share in the first four games without Cooper Cup. He'll be on there for sure. And then also Kyron Williams is expected to, or I shouldn't say expected, he's eligible to return this upcoming game as well. And remember, he was in every touched back before Daryl Henderson and Royce Freeman had to take over. So we'll just see where the Rams are next week. I think, and it doesn't matter really, because Kyron Williams is probably going to come back, but obviously from a pure volume standpoint, Royce Freeman totally outcarried Daryl Henderson. Obviously mm -hmm. both got goal line opportunities in there. And I don't know, like Puka Nakua in the first couple weeks of the season was insane. And like one of the best stories of this fantasy football calendar. Um, I think it's fair to wonder if we're ever going to get back to that point, even if Cooper Cup like misses some time from here on out. Because I don't think Matthew Stafford is as playing as good a football as he was back then. And I'm not saying Puka looks slower here, but it's just, I mean, thinking that we can get 10 catches, 11 catches, 12 catches like we were at the top. Um, it's a, it was a bit of a fever dream looking back on it, I guess is the way I'm trying to put that. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, on the, on the Seahawks side, Hopefully we can get more of this from DK Metcalf. It's just, again, I, I want to stress this because I know Seahawks fans and our mentions are going to uh, bring this up. Carl Chaffers, I believe that's his name. I mean, the Seahawks had 12 penalties for 130 yards. The Rams had nine penalties for 92 yards. And some of these were like in really pivotal situations where flags, just let them play. Like, let them play. And for Puka, to your point, I do wonder, I know it's only week 11, so it's kind of crazy to say, but remember the most touches he had in any season in college was 73. Like, are we at a, are we at a point where it's like, man, this dude may have just been already leaned on too hard by NFL grown men trying to feed their families. I will say I'll be ranking him inside the top 10 of Cooper comes sure. out next week. So <laughs> you guys Fair. can deal with those splits. Totally and speaking of, and, and look, Kenneth Walker oblique. We've seen him deal with groin injuries in the past, hernia injuries in the past yeah. too. So it's like kind of that section of the body. Uh, Zach Charbonnet, we've all said like, hey, put him on your roster just in case in the future. Well, in the next three games, it's the San Francisco 49ers, the Dallas Cowboys, and the San Francisco 49ers. And oh, after that, no. Philadelphia Eagles. 
So God. like we get to the stretch where we might be starting Zach Charbonnet because he has 20 touches. And again, it's San Francisco, Dallas, San Francisco, Philly. And then right after that, Tennessee too. Dude, <laughs> I promise you guys he's good if he has bad games. Buccaneers versus 49ers. Speaking of that 49ers team, John Daigle, they crushed it today. I mean, they totally, totally dominated the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 27 to 14. And Brock Purdy, statistically, a near perfect game for the vast majority of it. Uh, 21 of 25, 333 yards and three touchdowns, including 156 and a score in the direction of Brandon Ayuk. Actually, if you look at passer rating, Purdy was perfect. The first wow. 49ers quarterback to have a perfect per passer rating on the year in this game. And the stars always aligned in this matchup. The Bucks we know, had been a very bad defense out of their bye. It was Will Levis's turn last week. He just didn't get there. And the real key was that the Bucks in those last five games had been creating pressure at the league's sixth lowest rate. They're not even getting to quarterbacks anymore. And Purdy leads the league in yards per attempt to completion rate from a clean pocket. And you saw that from the very beginning today. We have an opening drive where they go down and hit Christian McCaffrey on a cool play design out of the backfield too. But also... George Kittle involved, a 66-yard catch. He had a 21-yard catch, too. Brandon Ayuk is the highlight everyone saw with a 76-yard touchdown on man-to-man -to -man coverage. Really, it was just all about how perfect this 49ers offense was and how easy it was through the air throughout the game. Surprisingly, I didn't think we were going to get any pushback at all in the second half, but the Bucs did make it somewhat interesting. 27-7, they get the ball back. And Baker Mayfield hits Rakeem Jarrett for 41-yard pass. Then they draw a 22-yard DPI to move them within the goal line, which allowed Rashad White to fall forward for a touchdown and make it 27-14. The Bucks' defense then answers and forces the Niners three and out. So they get the ball back, and the Bucks do go back down the field, but ultimately, fourth and three, red zone play can't convert, can't pick up the first down, and really it was sealed from that point forward. Genuinely, all 49ers today with no pushback. This is a perfect game to, when we always talk about team totals and pass funnels and all yeah. that stuff. This team totals, it was exactly 27 to 14, a 13-point spread, just how Vegas had it up. And then also the Bucks pass defense is way worse than the run defense. And obviously we had Brandon Ayuk going crazy. But my note here is just George Kittle, nine targets on the 25 uh, pass attempts there. That's way higher than it typically is when you have yep. – all these guys so it's been deep i know he had like broke free for a free play and had some good after the catch ability but we are seeing kittle fight back a little bit more right now than we had previously question okay just asking for the people out there not stating my opinion is there a chance that george kittle has surpassed debo samuel in the pecking order of the passing game now i think it's possible why not Daigle? maybe so it was only a 14 percent target share last week obviously popped today but again you were starting him anyways because of the ceiling you were aware of if you bench him so it's not like anyone's getting away from him anyways um it's a good question to start asking though i don't hate it uh, uh, and even debo debo samuel's production even today was because of one 20 plus yard catch it was basically mm -hmm. one explosive play today right the reason i ask okay i'm just going to go through his last four games here right Eight receptions, 89 yards in a score today. Three receptions, 116 yards a score last week. We mm. had nine receptions, 149 yards. Five receptions for 78 yards the week before that. So this is like 
four straight games of 78 plus <laughs> yards and had uh, two touchdowns and two of those four. And like some of that was without Debo, right? Some of that was without some of the other yeah. pieces. So, but now we get them all together and he's still doing it. Like that is super when, impressive for George Kittle in a 49ers offense. But when you phrase it like that, we then have to remember to be fair, like Brock Purdy has played without Debo Samuel for a lot of his career now. So mm-hmm. maybe George Kittle is just kind of growing into a more comfortable rapport with him. And I want to say this because I think Brock Purdy, I've been Purdy pilled for a very long time. It was going through all of his early starts last year with quarterback coach Josh McCown uh, when he was part of the channel last season. Mm -hmm. And to me, it was immediately evident that he did things differently in this offense and took them to a different level than the Jimmy Garoppolo's or whoever you want to put in this offense in the past. And yes, you can definitely look at his games and throws against pressure this season and also a head injury and come away with a a bunch of negative stats. But I think for the vast majority of time that we're going to get him this season, he is going to have clean pockets and good offensive line, all these weapons around them. And then at the same time, I think you can say, okay, he's in a great situation, but also on that Brandon Ayuk touchdown throw, it was a outrageous pass. I mean, it was inside leverage, I think by Jamel Dean, and he just perfectly lost it over and it creates even a yard or two more separation from Brandon Ayuk in perfect stride and leads him for a touchdown rather than a twisting grab that we see throughout the rest. And so it's that plus his quick twitch. Again, the vertical element, the outside the numbers element that he brings to this table that to me is why Kyle Shanahan is riding with Brock Purdy versus Mm -hmm. all the other names that he has either drafted or signed in recent years. Last week, the Niners went up to first in EPA per play over the Miami Dolphins. And last time you brought up Jamil Dean, I believe he was carted off with a foot, ankle, Achilles. I didn't see the exact report, but carted off there. That would make this Bucks secondary even more of a pass on. He's a starting cornerback for them. Titans versus Jaguars. Jacksonville, 34. Tennessee Titans, 14. And my eyes immediately lock over. <laughs> to Calvin Ridley. We've been waiting for this moment, Hayden Winks. Nine targets, seven receptions, 103 yards, and two scores. And just as everyone was getting disgruntled, discouraged, putting this Jaguars offense with Trevor Lawrence at the helm six feet under, he goes out there, 24-32, 262, two passing scores, and another two rushing scores on top of that. It was a game where everything was locked and loaded. We had Trevor Lawrence scramble drill. We had another rushing touchdown as well inside the red area. But the story obviously was Calvin Ridley. And a lot of the production was by the sideline, but there was that touchdown where he was not stuck to the boundary. Instead, he was at the number two spot down there in the slot. And that was the play where he was working over the middle. So now is that the the press Taylor listening to the press and trying to get Calvin Ridley schemed watch up. Stats versus is, it, is it, is it the Zay Jones emergence where now you can put him into the slot? We don't know. All I know is it worked and it was predictable that it did work. He also had a defensive pass interference called again in this one, but the really, we can try to pick exactly why this offense was good this week when it wasn't last week to me. Trevor Lawrence is not under pressure this game. And we've seen many games where he has been under pressure. The knee was really bothering him previously. He saw the humongous brace on. I know he rushed for a couple touchdowns here, but that brace is, I mean, very massive. Um, and it sticks out because he's so lean and you just have this huge thing on your knee. Anyways, 
he was pinpoint with his accuracy and it was Calvin really with the, the matchups. Trevor Lawrence after the game was asked about that. And he said that they have plays designed for everybody, but there are certain matchups that they're looking for specifically with Calvin Ridley. And I think that was pretty evident. The Titans secondary, especially without Kevin Byard is not very good. And there were some one-on-one matchups that they liked here. And then this one, it was the slot touchdown, which is something that we had not seen. And then beyond that, we have another kind of storyline here that's building with Travis Etienne. Ooh. Travis Etienne last week did not get many touches. They were obviously getting blown out by the 49ers. But previously, this coaching staff did say that they wanted to limit Etienne's touches. Well, in this game, before the starters were, were pulled, he had only 64% of the Jacksonville running back carries. Dearness Johnson, this was not garbage time. This was Dearness Johnson actually mixing in. Tank Bigsby had a fourth and one where he was brought in, converted that one. By the way, Tank Bigsby also on the fourth and five on punt return, lined up offsides, giving the Titans <laughs> an automatic first down. So his season still spiraling. Every play. But Every play. we are seeing a little bit of a usage trend going away from Travis Etienne. Obviously, he's going to be super explosive at times. But I do also do think it makes sense where you don't want to give Travis Etienne what he's probably on pace for like close to 350 touches previously. Um, they probably didn't want that exactly to happen. So something to watch here, but I think ultimately you just want to see Jacksonville's offense have a couple games like this. And tre- obviously Trevor Lawrence is complete in I, complete control. I do believe the splits. I do think it's as simple as Zay Jones is here. Thus we can move Calvin Ridley inside more. Um, having said that, I think I'm still frustrated that one of the most important start sit decisions of week 11 came down to me seeing a photo of Zay Jones in an orange jumpsuit on Monday. And by <laughs> Sunday, he was making Calvin Ridley a top 12 wideout. I think I'm still upset. I, I did want to bring this to the table in terms of what Calvin Ridley and look, I don't think all of these routes or targets were with Zay Jones on the field. But at least Hayden, what we are getting is I wish my cursor would show up here, but these condensed splits, right? It's not just Calvin really. And sure, he might have been the outside wide receiver in some of them, but I know in the touchdown that Christian Kirk was the outside wide receiver here. It just affords more space for Calvin really to work rather than try to run this green line that's three yards inside, five yards inside of the mm-hmm. sideline and say, hey, beat your man in isolation. And if you do that. And if Trevor Lawrence in this game could hold on to the football for 2.78 seconds versus, you know, his time to throw for the season at less than 2.5 seconds, then you might get the football. I understand, again, especially when you go back to where Trevor Lawrence's passes, they were still along the sideline here. So I don't know if that is, you know, the areas that this team wants to target. But again, the origin point of Calvin Ridley was different. And to me, that is notable, either off motion or on these condensed splits because it gives you more uh, grass, more area to attack versus, again, this is your spot along the sideline and you better win. And if you don't, then you're not going to get the football. And less likely to be on press coverage where Calvin right. Ridley this year has been way worse at. Um, other notes I had, the Titans. It was... A couple of turnover-worthy plays for Will Levis in this one. They run a flea flicker, which was the long touchdown to DeAndre Hopkins. There was absolutely no consistency in this offense. We are really getting to a point where Derrick Henry is like RB20 kind of starting point 
uh, going into rankings each week and then adjusting for the matchup just because right now with the with Will Levis starting, he had those long touchdowns. I, I was, I'm, I'm okay calling them somewhat fluky touchdowns, just how he got to the progressions in that first start. Since then, the Titans have scored 16, 6, and 14 points. Uh, in recent games, uh, there was a note here with Chig Aquanquo. He was finally benched. He only had a 40% route share in this one, more of a rotation there. And of course, the touchdown when they do get to the goal line, in comes Derrick Henry, but play action dump off in the flats to defensive tackle Jeffrey Simmons for a design touchdown. So this was just a really bad offensive performance for the Titans. They did not have the ball very often. Now they're three and seven on the season. So there's only one thing that matters right now and that is will levis in his development for the rest of the year question here hayden i see you know espn has different stats they have quarterback rating which has will levis actually at 143.8 and then qbr at yeah. 18. i've never seen a larger split between a quarterback rating in my life what do you think has gone into that drastic difference well you have to account for the flea flicker was 43 of his 158 yards and the, the touchdown here. And then he also had Chris Moore on a 49 yard uh, catch down the field. Both of those were deep targets converted them. Everything else, there was like no intermediate feel on this um, as well. So, yeah, I, I didn't think this was a good Will Levis game. There's a couple balls that were like deflecting off defenders over the middle middle of the field that did not get picked as well as. They didn't have the ball like this entire game. Like I kept going back to this game and Jacksonville had the ball again. So it was just one of those performances. It's it's also concerning for Henry, as you mentioned, because I know it's the time of year. Everyone's trying to shuffle the right pieces. They were trying to get Javante Williams and the Chiefs defense. And everyone's aware of the playoff matchups we're trying to target. But dude, this offensive line is probably going to hinder Derrick Henry's schedule. Even today, 1.1 yards before contact for a run. He basically just runs into someone before he can even get ahead of steam, like half ahead of steam mm -hmm. to gain any yards. So I, I'm very worried. I've kind of been ignoring the Titans playoff schedule because I'm not sure it matters. Yeah, I don't want to say too much negative things because he does have the Carolina Panthers coming up next. And so if there's <laughs> okay. a get right spot, then it could yeah. be a heavy dose of Derrick Henry uh, the next time the Tennessee Titans touch the field. Jets versus Bills. 32 to 6. The Buffalo Bills beat the New York Jets. Uh, the big question and the big spotlight is on this Bills offense. At the end of the day, Josh Allen, 20 of 32, 275 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. Uh, Khalil Shakur with an 81-yard touchdown here. With Sauce Gardner trying to run through his back and tip it, it was a great laser throw that Josh Allen made to Shakur. Uh, Don Kincaid pops up with a lot of his work in the first half, six receptions, 46 yards. You get that patented, let's say, momentum-driven yards after catch that he brings to the table. It's absolutely nothing flashy, but rather than catching and falling like we see so many, uh, let's say, static tight ends across the league, Don Kincaid at least brings you an extra three to five to seven yards on top of that. And I guess the big point is, does this offense look any different with Joe Brady calling it versus what we have seen in the past with King Dorsey from like a play in and play out standpoint? I would say no. Um, it just looked like it was well executed. And maybe that is the work that goes on behind the scenes and the preparation on top of it. We also didn't get a real brutal play from Josh Allen. His one interception was a Hail Mary to end the first half. 
So it's a clean game from your quarterback. Uh, really did love the receiving touchdown that James Cook and the play call that he got in the first half because they basically ran this yo-yo motion in a way where they had James Cook in the backfield, ran him out, got diagnosed into the slot that it was going to be man coverage, put him back into the backfield, and you had multiple crossing routes and then a clear-out route with him, and he was wide open for that score. But did the offense from like a structural standpoint look different? No, but this team, again, didn't make any clip crippling mistakes and scored on four of their opening six drives. And again, James Cook a bit more featured here with 17 carries for 73 yards and 29 yards in the air in that score. And the opposite end, I mean, it was so brutal from the Jets. And you could kind of see, and this played a part in the Bills scoring 32 points, the weight of the Jets defense and what they had to hold like Atlas for these last 10 weeks without Aaron Rodgers. And it just crumbling down on top of that where bad penalties, stupid mistakes, uncharacteristic things and facial expressions and fights and tension and all of it. Because even what we got from Zach Wilson before he was benched with about 16 or 19 minutes to go in this game was seven completions on 15 attempts for 81 yards, one touchdown and one interception and five sacks on top of that with tackle Makai Becton leaving with an ankle injury. So that's just offense and team now is four and six. And I don't see why Aaron Rodgers would come back this season. You you could sense the frustration in the first quarter too, because uh, they held the Bills to three consecutive field goals. And two of those were short fields from the Jets turnovers on offense. The defense just had to be getting absolutely pissed off that they were getting no help, less help than um, I've seen them get all year long. And that performance on Sunday night against the Chiefs is so far removed from my brain. Oh I don't understand gosh. what universe Zach Wilson was in for that one, but dude, it has reached cataclysmic points. Like you mentioned, Tim Boyle was in for an entire half and all the games had basically ended by then. So everyone on primetime was just watching Tim freaking Boyle. What is this team? Zach Wilson didn't have a reception or a pass, uh, pass completion to wide receiver in this, yep. this game. It was all running backs in Jeremy Ruckert. He was playing over Conklin. This one, they had uh freaking Thomas Morse, Morstead throw a, a well, their punter, throw it, throws it to a corner before they got a receiver. Involved. So, so that that's the thing. They were going to have another three and out. And until Thomas Morstead goes out there and throws an 18 yard pass for a first down. And that is the only reason why a Zach Wilson led jets offense finally cracked their streak yeah. of 41 straight drives without a touchdown. And even that, it was a Brees Hall screen at the line of scrimmage that he made multiple yeah. people miss. And what even started this, the first touchdown of this streak was that crazy Brees Hall long touchdown run that he made other people miss. So I don't even know what the count would be to a non-running back, what a mm -hmm. touchdown drive, the last one for this Jets offense. I, and I don't, he shouldn't be in there. You know, he really shouldn't be in there. Yeah. And this is, I don't, it, it's not a Robert Sala decision if you go and listen to any of his press conferences. It's either from the ownership, Woody Johnson, to Joe Douglas, who made this selection. But we have seen so many other quarterbacks or off the street or dealt for six-round selections or late-rounders in the draft come in and like make something happen. And just going into the season with Zach Wilson once again as the guy you put in there uh, with just all hopes riding on a playoff run – and then now behind this offensive line that is bruised and battered and injured, it's just going to be a losing formula out there for everyone.
But the problem is Tim Boyle has 33 yards on 14 pass attempts with an interception against a prevent defense. And by the way, the Bills defense lost a lot more players in this one. I hope they're all right. Um, super sad to see the ambulance come on the field once again for Buffalo. But I mean, is it Trevor Simeon time? At least we had solid not say that Zach Wilson is our guy in this last press conference. This did feel like a breaking point. They pulled him in the third quarter. You don't see that very often. So maybe it is Trevor Simeon, but this team's this team's toast. You can't be four and six. And we're forking the the Chargers basically in the playoff picture. You're basically doing that with the Jazz right now. They have the eleventh overall draft pick if the draft was starting today. And even in the first half alone with Zach Wilson, Brees Hall still splitting third and fourth down snaps with Dalvin Cook. Yeah. Six apiece. I, I don't know what the hell this offense is. Well, and meanwhile, we got one of the most unlikely revenge games you'll ever see with Ty Johnson actually getting a little bit of run in the first half and Ty Johnson being the Bills' second leading receiver with a 28-yard score on fourth and one where he catches it and runs down the right sideline after, you know, shoving it in the face of Mike LaFleur, who's no longer on the Jets staff and company from last season. Yeah, I mean, I think when you have these blowouts, some players are going to get there. And in this case, it is Stefan Diggs with eight targets, four receptions, for uh for 27 yards it's just and i think we got the report from rap sheet or jay glazer i think from someone where hey aaron Rodgers is eyeing just after christmas to return but only if this team is in the playoff hunt yeah again you are four and six you potentially could have gotten there if you had traded for joshua dobbs or made a move for carson Wentz in week two or so on and so forth and now coming up you have the dolphins the falcons the texans and the dolphins good luck to you they're gonna fight each other I mean, the, they, the came close. they will Quentin, be fighting each other. I promise you that. Quentin Williams was yelling at people after Sauce Gardner basically olayed the long touchdown yeah. from Khalil Shakur today. Like, they're already getting to that point, dude. They're close. Yeah. And, and to your point, Hayden, Taylor Rapp and Teron Johnson seem to collide with each yeah. other. Uh, Teron Johnson went straight to the locker room and was out for the game and it seemed much worse for Taylor Rapp, who was squeezing his hands as he was stretchered mm-hmm. and ambulance off the field. But it just you hate seeing that for any team, Buffalo Bills specifically, and they just had to keep playing football immediately after that. Yeah, it really is. And for they'll be tested because they got the Eagles, the Chiefs, the Cowboys, and the Chargers yeah. in the next four games here. So I, I know I mean, they're just six and five, it. just six and five. They still have to beat some really good teams in order to make the playoffs. The pressure is on. So I think that for like people that have digs, for example, like this was a tough matchup individually for him, but the Bills defense is so injured right now and the schedule is so difficult like for the bills but these should be high scoring contests cowboys versus panthers for some reason vegas only had the dallas cowboys as 10 point favorites on the road they go out and put 33 points on the carolina panthers 33 to 10 with dak prescott limited to 189 yards and two scores but just as we talked about with calvin ridley We have to bring it up here with Tony Pollard, a rumbling 22-yard touchdown. Now as a power back, Tony Pollard breaking about four or five tackles, John Daigle, to once again find the end zone for the first time since week one. It really started on the second drive, too. And you mentioned holding Dak Prescott. The Cowboys have been doing some weird things on offense the past two weeks where I really think they're just gearing up for the next Eagles game. I believe it's week 14. It, it's going to be a crucial one. But even in this one, they gave Cavante Turpin a couple carries in the yep. first quarter. On that second drive, Tony Pollard had a screen, which already gave him more targets in this one than he had all of last week. He had a 20-yard run as well, which was basically 
wide open. Even the center, Tyler Biotish, ran 15 yards downfield before he found his first guy to bowl over. So Tony Pollard just ran for 20 yards untouched. But on that one, too, Rico Dowdle then comes in afterwards, gets a carry. So that's a first quarter carry. And then they use Rico Dowdle from the Wildcat, too. Remember last week we saw CeeDee Lamb get end around. He ran for a touchdown this past game and Brandon cooks the past week as well was used in a lot more motion behind the line of scrimmage to try to get him a full head of steam. He pops up here only four targets in this game, but still leads the team in receiving yards. So genuinely they're just trying a lot more stuff. These past two games. I, I think they know the kind of offense they have and they're comfortable revolving around it. But like you said, the story is still on the Cowboys side of the ball. Pollard getting there with that explosive 20 yard touchdown. Was it Pollard breaking tackles? Was it yeah. yes, arm, yes. Was it arm tackles? I yeah. don't know. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, right? Like, we got Pollard there. This is a dude who is RB12 in expected points per game for his usage, but actually RB24 in points per game because he's not getting there. So when you get Pollard there for 80 yards and a touchdown, let's all celebrate. That's okay. We could all celebrate now in week 11. That recap seemed like the Cowboys were treating the Panthers like a Division II opponent. Like That, like, <laughs> that was like Alabama versus freaking Texas Southern. Uh, so there, and there were a few elements to this Daigle because actually the score might've been closer, but the Panthers in some ways, like the jets, um, had so many unforced errors on third. Dude. Down, it was so bad. There was third and seven, third and nine, third and 11, third and 12, where it felt like all on the same drive or in back-to-back drives, the Panthers would just have a face mask plus a horse collar or just as the play is over and it's going into fourth down, Deshaun Williams comes over and shoves over Cavante Turpin. Like these are just penalties where as Edgero Evero has like led this defense to admirable situations at times this year. Um, just the bad coaching is evident all around Daigle. Dante Jackson had a 20 yard DPI that set up Luke Schoonmaker for that touchdown from Dak Prescott. And on the same drive as well, Carolina had the Cowboys down to third and 19 and cooks was dropped just short of the sticks because of a horse collar and holding penalty by Xavier Woods. That was actually just totally uncalled for. I don't know why he even did it, but it gave the Cowboys a first down too. So yeah, it's literally a team that, it's not good enough to get there, but now they're just unraveling based on everything. Yeah. Even on the first drive, the, the commentators are mentioning how Frank Reich's using more no huddle, and they were. They were going to the line of scrimmage quickly, whatever that matters, but they hammer Adam Thielen to get down close to field goal range. Thielen, who actually finished with a season-high 42.3% target share in this game, and then on third down, Bryce Young takes a huge sack to pull them back out of field goal position. And that's your opening drive. It just seems like I, we say it every week. They're lost clearly, but dude, I'm not kidding when I say nothing is right here. Nothing right. top down. And that sack that you're talking about, that was a theme of this game where, yeah. where it was second and five plus third and five plus this Cowboys defensive line just knew that they could pin their ears back and just go after the quarterback. So on that first one, it was Micah Parsons over mid-round rookie Chandler Zavala, and he got home within two seconds. You know, there were plenty of other second and seven scenarios where Durant's Armstrong gets a quarterback hit on Aki Aquano, third and seven immediately after that. Any games or loops or stunts that the Cowboys ran, the Panthers just simply could not pick it up. And Hayden, when you go back and watch this, you're going to see like in 2.2 seconds, Bryce has nowhere to go because both the edge is compact 
and the interior is compact. Bradley Bozeman was thrown off his spot at his anchor point at center multiple times. And again, this is the worst team to go up against that because you can line up Michael Parsons against the worst def- offensive lineman and your quarterback just has no chance in that environment. 2.1 yards per drop back. It's, it yeah. doesn't seem you, good. <laughs> you still got a whole lot of the ball. And Bryce Young had a couple big fumbles where it was entirely on him. He, he even took someone head on at the line of scrimmage trying to escape the pocket and just outright drop the ball. So, I mean, yeah, you still gotta I mean, take uh-oh. care of business. <laughs> well, no, no, the last one. Okay. It was a sack in 2.2 seconds on first down, a second down sack in 2.2 seconds. Then third down, he finally escapes it and goes through the center. And to your point, it is a fumble that you shouldn't have, but he was trying to fake out the closing linebacker and did one of these <laughs> and then just dropped it and, then, it. Yeah. And, and then gets it too. Yeah. It's, um, uh, I mean, to the, to that point, what thirty three dropbacks and the Dallas defense had eleven quarterback hits and seven sacks on the day. It's just yeah. miserable. And then Frank Wright goes out there and says, like, uh, it was close until you know we had the turnovers in the second half, dude. It was a fourteen point game in not. the fourth quarter. <laughs> you never felt as if the Panthers not. were in this one the moment they took that third down sack. Uh, credit to where it's due, though. Drawn Bland. Dude, yes. it's tied for second on the team in touchdowns. Deron Bland, by the way, for those that don't know, fantasy football only, is the Cowboys starting cornerback. He's tied for second on the team in touchdowns. He has eight picks and today returned his fourth pick six on the season, which is insane. Ludicrous. On that play, I thought he did have a one-on-one opportunity on field. If Price would like to throw the ball downfield, but we'll go back to the All-22 to check that. On top of All-22, Adam Thielen, 11 targets here. The Cowboys play a lot of zone defense. The zone splits continue for Adam Thielen, I guess. Eh, I don't know. I mean, eight, I thought eight I, receptions I, for 74 I, yards in this economy? Come on. I, I feel unquenched by Adam Thielen's results because, again, season high But it's all share. that they have, and then it's just like... I agree. I mean, it's, it's, it's unreal. The leading, the second leading receiver on this team is Steven Sullivan on one split out wide on a back shoulder throw. <laughs> it's a tight end for everyone listening, gets, by the way. Yeah. yeah. It's unreal. I mean, right now, this Panthers team has such a like small hold of thread where their only touchdown drive in this game is a 17 play nine minute, 70 yard drive because anything else that was in whatever scenario, like they have no time for deep shots. Um, and because their offensive line can't hold up and the wide receivers take a long time to get down there. Like it is unbelievable what the situation is at the moment. I want to temper my expectation for Thielen moving forward. I think we're yeah. at the part of the year where it's okay that a 33 year old receiver who had been playing too much drops off. And I think that's what's happening. And that's why I'm saying we got, we got the eight for 74 on a 42% target share, but any that's other good. receiver, any other receiver probably does a little bit better with a seven, with a 42% target share. So yes, I need to defense. He right. sits there and he gets the rock eight for 74 yes. is good. Yeah, right. well, it's and good. this is different than the other splits used to be, Hayden, because it used to be man coverage that he was good at and not so. This yeah, season. I know. That's what I'm saying. It's, like a, it's an right. improvement here. Yeah, totally. This team okay. sucks. Let's go back to Thursday Night Football then and talk about some huge uh, season-shifting injuries on top of it. Bengals versus Ravens. Ravens, 8-3 and three now. Beat the Bengals, 34-20. to 20. Um, Obviously, you get two Gus Edwards, Gus Bus touchdowns, uh, but two significant injuries – Hayden, I think, cloud the entire conversation of this game. Yeah. We'll love both your opinions on this. First, on the Ravens' end, Mark Andrews with a high ankle plus fracture. I don't know. It's like an uber high ankle, it sounds like. And almost certainly he'll miss 
into the playoffs if he even comes back. On the opposite end, Joe Burrow with a strained ligament in his hand, in his wrist, is now out for the rest of the season, and they are 5-5. Five and five. How are you handling both sides of that equation here? Well, I think the bigger ones is as much as we love Mark Andrews is Joe Burrow because there's just so many stepping stones with this. Jake Browning is just like on the scale of backup quarterbacks at the very bottom of it. In my opinion, they're five and five. There's just not many options for them to go to. And I think that puts Jamar Chase kind of on the Garrett Wilson spectrum where he's such a talented player that you're hoping you can get wide receiver two production, but it is going to be very difficult to get there, I think like his box score kind of sums it up. Two receptions on seven targets does score a touchdown here. Uh, T. Higgins is going to be very week to week, but it's just really tough because they nearly had a Super Bowl chance, and now that window, like the Chargers, because of injuries, does feel like it's going to be closing because the Bengals' cap situation moving forward is not in a good spot. So. I think Joe Mixon's not, he hasn't been creating enough on his own. So I think that he kind of goes in like the flex territory instead of being an RB2, but it's just a really bad situation. I, I think I'm just going to start looking at the situation like Jamar Chase is in the Garrett Wilson zone. It's unfortunate for Browning. It's not his fault, man. Like It's like a lot like Zach Wilson, how he's the organization now makes him the scapegoat when the organization saw these players play and had all offseason to do something and did nothing. That's what frustrates me about the most about professional football is when you you know the results and you see it and you do nothing. Jake Browning was 37th in yards per attempt in the preseason. A stretch of games where only third stringers play. He was bad then. And now he's just forced in the fire and he's going to get blamed for everything. And again, it's not his fault at all. And it just sucks. So we lost, in my opinion, outside of touch face running backs, because that's where we are with the landscape of fantasy football. We definitely moved Jamar Chase down quite a bit. T. Higgins, does he come back since he's the going free for, agent after the year? Right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Does he even come back? And if he does, he probably doesn't even matter because we're not getting two receivers there and this offense. So it just sucks all around, honestly. At least if you want to spin it glass half full like the AFC playoff scenario for the next 15 to 20 years of our lives Patrick Mahomes Josh Allen Burrow Lamar Jackson Tua Justin Herbert and CJ Stroud dude like it's and Trevor Lord's pretty awesome mm -hmm. it is uh on top of that Bengals defense they are like basically allowing the Just most faster. explosive plays in the league and they've been like bottom three in success rate on top of it. So they have a little bit more turnover luck than other defenses, but it's a bad, it's a bad defense yeah. at this point on top of it, it. It makes you, at least me, nervous for if Lou Anarumo is even going to get head coaching opportunities this year because it feels like, yeah. and it's felt like the last two off seasons, he has been like the last name in the cycle to even get right. an interview. And that was mm -hmm. when obviously they were a winning team and they're going to be losing the rest of the way here. On the Ravens end, I mean, Mark Andrews has been this consistent presence despite all this weird wide receiver rotation and inconsistency around him. I think it is notable that when he does go down, over the last two weeks, we've gotten like the closest thing to vintage Odell Beckham that we've had in a very long time. In this game, it was seven targets, four receptions, 116 yards, is now taking slants a bit further and creating some yards on his own. And then you have to think that Zay Flowers, like, has to step up here, like has to be a, we're not just a manufactured touch wide receiver. You have to now win over the middle of the field and win after the catch and be like a legit wide receiver on every single quarter now, mm -hmm. or else to me, this Ravens offense, despite how well Lamar Jackson's playing, 
despite this awesome tandem that they have now in, in Gus Edwards and Keaton Mitchell, it drops them down a rung and contenders if none of these wide receivers really step up to an elite level. Yeah, we hope that Odell Beckham is grounding into form at this point. I did say a tweet. I think it was like from Stephen Ruiz or Charles McDonald that Odell was this year. His training was to get healthy, like at the midpoint of the season, instead of like trying to be fully healthy, ready to go in week one to see that he can like last for a little bit longer. Um, so maybe there's something into that. And then the, obviously the say it should have been a touchdown that long one that did get called back. That was super tragic for his box score. His man splits have been really bad. So I went back and watched his like press man coverage snaps. And I actually thought that he, he just hasn't been getting the targets, but I actually think that he is a functional receiver against man coverage, all things considered. So I'm, I'm with you, Josh, they need Zay Jones totally right now. I know Isaiah likely also hasn't filled in successfully, but I also want to attribute that this year to that opening game. Remember when he started, they also lost Ronnie Stanley and Tyler Linderbaum mid game. And even his snap show, he had to block more in that one. And this past week, he just kind of came in for Mark Andrews without preparation. I want to attribute to that. And I still want to bank on likely as my replacement wherever Taysom Hill wasn't dropped over his bye as my starter at tight end moving forward. Maybe it bites me. Well, I will say with Isaiah likely that story for fantasy was a lot more fun when the tight ends were awful. Like Josh and I, like we counted, like there's like 10 tight ends now. Like yeah. now we have the McBrides and Laportas and Kincaids and all that tier that like, I would still probably go to the Ninjoku types and like, he's probably like, I would make him like the tight end 15, 16 where we're at, but this tight end class right now is a little bit deeper than it was when we thought likely could be a, a fun guy to have. Um, he did have a sweet triple block on one of those long gains too. So uh, I think Isaiah likely in his second year might not be having his head spin as much as you do as you're a rookie coming out of coastal Carolina versus, you know, your second year in the NFL. Okay. I wanted to lead off with that AFC North because we had another, I would say landscape shifting win in the Cleveland Browns here on Sunday too. Steelers versus Browns. Because the Steelers entered this game as a shocking six and three, by their running game and defense. And to me, this is the world you live in. If you are a defense plus running game team where you only put up 10 points on the board and allow a Cleveland Browns offense to put up 13 with their defense out there as well. I mean, Jalen Warren had a 74 yard touchdown run ends the day though, with just nine carries for 129 yards. Uh, this sweep by Josh Kearney after a 74 yard touchdown run, Jalen Warren touched the ball just five times after that and none on the final two possessions of the game when his 129 yards were almost double of what Kenny Pickett put out there passing the football. Yeah, and then Najee Harris, he had a 33% success rate on his carries on top of that. So, I mean, it was a pathetic performance. I, I tweeted it out there. Josh, I'm not sure if you can find it real quick, but the Kenny Pickett passing chart, once again, I'm not, this is like not a bit, zero, yeah. zero, not, not completions, attempts, over the middle of the football field. You can't win in the NFL if you're not throwing the ball where it's most efficient to throw the ball, which is over the middle of the field. So I don't even, it's not even like worth our time to like point fingers at whose problem that is. Pickett, offensive line, George Pickens, Matt Canada, they're all to blame here. And yeah, right now, Jalen Warren is getting the rock and he's the most efficient, but you can't, I mean, that's, that's insane. And it's because the, Touches at least are not ideal, but they're still inching closer and closer. Even today, only one less touch than Najee Harris for Jalen Warren. And when it's that kind of split, when Najee Harris, we can then start setting in stone that he's only going to get 
two to four more touches, Jalen Warren should be ranked over him every single week yeah, because Jalen Warren is going to outperform him in fantasy and honestly yeah. on the field in general um, on those fewer touches because he's that good. Yeah. And look, I, I don't want to give too much credit to the Browns and winning this game. Uh, and I think this is going to look awful when you see DTR's passing chart, but I think it kind of speaks to Kevin Stefanski understanding oh. what type of offense he has to put out there where it's some um, DTR scrambling for three carries for 20 yards, but then everything is basically within five yards of line of scrimmage. And you're just hoping for uh yards after catch opportunities. I think we can now spin that forward. If this is how he's going to run his offense and it might've just been a Steelers thing, but if he is because where we have seen Omari Cooper shine this year is on deep vertical shots. And today just four catches for 33 yards. Meanwhile, again, yards after catch opportunities, Six receptions for 60 yards for Elijah Moore. Seven receptions for 56 yards for David Njoku. And now two starts for DTR. David Njoku's averaging a 36.5% target share. The splits are just wildly different. today. Wildly different for that reason you mentioned, because he gets everything hammered underneath. So, yep. yes, of course, if he's out there, I don't think he's many spots, but if he's out there, definitely someone to consider with DTR under center. Well, they're getting him involved in the screen game. Like that's just been super evident since, since their bye week and since he's been like back to fantasy relevant. So he's, he's a floor based play, even with DTR um, struggling as much as he did real quick though, on the Steelers, they are six and four and they will keep getting away with it. They play the Bengals next, then the Cardinals Patriots Colts, the Bengals again with the backup quarterback, the Seahawks have been up and down and the Ravens, in a final game where the Ravens might not even be playing their starter. So, I mean, those are what, four or five very winnable games. It's going to be okay. tough to get there, but that is a easy you schedule know right there. I can say the same thing for the Cleveland Browns, Hayden. Okay. They face the Denver Broncos, the LA Rams, the Jaguars, and like maybe one or two or three of those are winnable. Mm -hmm. You get the Bears, the Texans, and the Jets, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, I think these two teams plus the Houston Texans are contending for one or two spots. Mm -hmm in the playoffs. And I know which one of those I want in the playoffs. <laughs> uh, it's they reside in Texas, but we'll see how this thing plays out. I mean, these quarterback teams and now like defense is sustaining, you know, high level play for almost the entire season. It, it creates these weird wonky low scoring games that to me, I, I haven't really remembered in previous years. Yeah. Okay. We close that with one more. I did not get to watch it, but uh, let's just call it the upset of Sunday here. Giants versus Commanders. I say that. I mean, the Commanders are four and seven on the season now, but the biggest upset is Tommy DeVito. Yeah. The New Jersey Devil himself. 18 of 26, 246 yards, three touchdowns, while also taking nine sacks. I don't know if I have seen a three touchdown, nine sack performance from a quarterback since probably Sam Howell did it back in week three or week four of the season, too. I I have no idea how this happened. That this box score makes <laughs> makes absolutely no sense to me. Except I mean, em embarrassing for the Commanders. Yes, truly embarrassing. Yes. Despite getting there, because the Giants' offensive line is so bad. Yes, Devito success, and more importantly, he has the best touchdown celebration since we lost Johnny Manziel. You still put the thumb to the fingers, but you do the Italian <laughs> emotes, just like he does when he scores a touchdown. And he runs down the field doing that as his dance. It's great. It's perfect. More Tommy DeVito in my life. Oh, man. And with Washington, I mean, again, I thought they were going to win by a lot. Yeah. 17 carries for 73 yards for Brian Robinson. Um, and then Brian Robinson is also tied for this team's leading receiver 
with seven receptions for 58 yards. I mean, just as everyone, and I again, I haven't watched this game. I don't know if these are tip completions or what, believes that Sam Howell has taken this next step. He comes out here 31 of 45 for just 255 yards, one touchdown and three interceptions, taking four sacks. Did this wink Martindale defense like decide in week 11 I'm going to come together and ruin Sam Howell? You know, like it, 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 it's it's worrisome for me. And again, I'm not saying like this commander's offense or just team in general is one that we're going to believe that this is how they're going to operate in 2024. But it's still a bit of a roller coaster versus, and I know progression isn't linear and I love to bring that up, but we've gotten forward steps and backward steps. It feels like all season long, despite consistently good fancy performances from Sam Howell. The last pick too was horrendous with less than 30 seconds left just trying to move the chains i get it but to lob it to i believe it was logan thomas and isaiah simmons looked like the receiver on the play honestly it was such a poor decision um yeah there's a lot of that baked into sam house tape it is what it is but this is the way the offense has to move i will say no antonio gibson it was a toe injury for this game if he misses again i mean Ryan Robinson, nine targets in this one. That's how you become like at least a upside RB2. I just realized it wasn't it wasn't just three interceptions too by the commanders. They also fumbled the ball three times uh, and lost three of them. So one from Logan Thomas, one from Byron Pringle, one from Chris Rodriguez too. Curtis Samuel was also ejected and Jahan yeah. Johnson to that point, I believe had one catch for single digit yards and then scored his touchdown whenever Samuel was out the game. Man. Did you guys see the report after the game as well that FedEx Field they oh. they did not have the showers working for the yeah. locker room and they had two they had two options either turn off the water in the entire stadium reset it so the sh- the players can shower or sorry guys uh head home with uh some sweaty some sweaty what <laughs> let's end the let show with how with how we started it this was a huge day for the New England Patriots right. Because now the New York Jets have won three games, okay? That takes them out of the tier right now for the Carolina Panthers, who have won one game, and the New England Patriots, right? We think the Arizona Cardinals are going to continue to win here. The Chicago Bears probably have a good chance with Justin Fields. And so, really, to me, looking for the rest of the way, if Bailey Zappi goes out there at quarterback, the Patriots could be locked into one of these top two selections in the NFL draft. Huge winners for being on a bye week for the New England Patriots. Because again, just three wins might force the New York Giants out of those top two or three places in the draft. That's big. Start Steve Belichick at quarterback. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's worth it to get May or Caleb. Steve Belichick right. and Thomas Morstead. Next week's starters in New York. Let's do this. There we go. There we go. Okay. That's going to do it for us. Uh, we will be back on Tuesday with Stats versus Film. Uh, and then again, we'll have a live chat on Friday. Daigle, what is your Thanksgiving week schedule like? Preview show Wednesday, waiver okay. content all the same, Monday night, 7 p.m. Eastern for the video, and the column will be up Monday afternoon for everyone, and then DFS on Friday afternoon, 6 p.m. Eastern. Okay. You're working more than Hayden and I are this week. Show goes on. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's going to do it. Thank you all for tuning in. We really appreciate you leaving a thumbs up, hitting that subscribe button, about less than 9,000 more until we hit 100,000 subscribers. Uh, I know John Daigle brought 77,000 of those, so we appreciate him joining the show, as always, and producer weeds for making sound and look good. All right. Up the phone. Fucked up some.